What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of Unhinged with the one and only, the iconic and amazing CEO, founder of Gear, the badass surfing Parisian chef babe in the kitchen, Melanie Mazarin. <laughs> wow. I'm saving this intro forever. Whenever I need an ego boost, I'm going to replay it for myself. Maybe it should be my ringtone. I feel like I have a second business in elevator pitches. I said this last week. For right? sure. And like you can be my hype girl and then just someone like Venmo's you and you call them. Well, you know what, Mel? I learned so much about you this week that as a friend, I feel like, you know, when you have a personal friendship with someone and your work isn't about business, you learn so much about them later on when you do a Google search. <laughs> oh, wow. Because we don't really talk about work stuff. I know. This is why I love our friendship. I, I thought you were going to say something around like, I learned so much about you because you came over for dinner on Wednesday. But no, this is like a, you fully went deep on the search. Guys, she didn't just come over for dinner. She was invited as a guest to Friendsgiving. And then she just cooked the entire Friendsgiving. Basically, everyone was like, we're all sitting around the table. Hmm, the chicken's great. Melanie did that. Hmm, the mashed potatoes are great. Melanie did that. Well, you still hosted, so it was my pleasure. It pays to have a friend like Melanie in your corner. And now you all get to have her for an almost an hour. Lucky you. I have so many questions for you. Um, first, I want to start with, actually, you know what? The holidays are coming up. It's a stressful time for everybody. And I think as women, I mean, for everyone, but especially women who have a biological clock facing like societal pressures, pressures from family, and just, you know, pressures from personal standards. It's a time where you assess your life, where you're going, if you're married, have you got a house, do you have kids? Like the spiral goes into full-blown effect for so many people. And that's why I was so excited to have you on as a guest to talk about da, 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 egg freezing and fertility. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's something that's just not really spoken about in detail or depth. I feel like even with friends and, you know, women our age, which is surprising because it's such a common concern for people. And I thought it was really, really wonderful that you shared so much of your experience online when you did that. And it's funny because my mom got super mad at me, which also showed how, I guess, in some cultures, it's still a lot more private. Um, I, so for context, I froze my eggs in Mexico because it was honestly much more affordable and the level of care is really good there. What I didn't know is that actually in my own home country, it's actually around the same price. Otherwise, I probably would have done it there. But people talk about it so little there that I had no idea. And my mom, you know, said that she thought it was really weird that I put all of this on the internet. And some of her friends reached out to her to ask her if, she, to ask her if I was okay. And I was like, wow, this is so antiquated. So I'm glad it helped. I got a lot of messages from people. And I guess... I didn't realize until I posted about it myself that so many women were going through this. What are the cultural differences, would you say, between French and American in terms of sharing? I think people in France are a lot more private and maybe don't discuss like very personal things as openly. You know, I think in America, we talk a lot about health and wellness and like enlightenment and I don't know. There's just a, a lot of um, kind of like awareness, which sometimes 
I think I'm always, you know, in between both because of course, like I was born and raised in France and now I've been here for, for 14 years. That's crazy. Um, so there's always bits of America that feel very welcoming to me and then bits of France that I will always miss and that they're like a big hole in my heart. But this specifically, I didn't realize was going to be such a big difference. My mom was like embarrassed that I had posted this stuff on the internet, basically. Whereas in the US, I had so many people reach out to me and said, you know, or asked to like be introduced to me to ask personal questions because they had seen my post and they, we had a friend in common and they wanted to ask some things and they, you know, it prompted them to do it there. The clinic told me that tens of people reached out after I posted, uh, wow. which was obviously amazing for them. And like several people have gone and done it there specifically, which is kind of a commitment. You have to go to Mexico for a month. And it was just last February. So it hasn't even been a year. So I thought it was really amazing, um, but it, it was a uh, pretty shocking, like seeing, you know, the cultural differences. And I think part of it is also generational is, you know, mm. my mom is obviously older and maybe at the time, like we weren't talking about, you know, our bodies as much. So, yeah. It definitely does like also instill shame when you feel like you can't talk openly about topics like these, right? With the people you love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's funny also, I think she was surprised because I had sort of mentioned it to her, but didn't really want to get into it so much. And, you know, my parents are pretty liberal, of course, but still like my mom had me at 26, right? So there's like a big difference. And like, I froze my eggs at 30, 30 or 31. And, and so, you know, that's already like, in her mind, like I probably should already have children. Um, so it feels a little against nature, I guess, to them. But, you know, for us, it is a way, it's like a hack, right? It's like a hack on time. There's so many things you can control now. You can make sure you, you know, biohack and you like sleep really well and you eat really well and you, you know, Botox and, and all these things to look younger for longer. But like the egg thing is so real and is one of the toughest things. So this is a hack, you know, you, get the eggs when you're younger and like mm -hmm. hopefully if you need to implant them when you're older you can I mean we have insurance policies for everything essentially in life why not do it with your health and your exactly future? what and for those of you who don't know Melody as well as I do she <laughs> is an incredibly thorough well-educated research-driven person who if she's doing something knows everything from a to z about whatever it is she's getting involved in from surfing to roasting a chicken and so I know that you probably went into a deep rabbit hole of just learning everything prior to the process what can you give us give us the vital information we need to know Oh, no, I mean, beyond that, I think when I started looking into it, I was like, I'm going to open fertility clinics because they're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I went to like Kind Body and I went to like a few that were popping up in New York. So I started doing research before before I started DIA. Um, after I left a very busy job at Glossy and I was like, you know what? I have this in-between time. I'm going to do it. And I went to one of those startups that shall not be named and had the most horrible experience ever. And so I started doing research. And before starting, yeah, for at least like six months, I started working on like a better fertility clinic system. And then kind of moved on from the project 
because I had the idea of Figia, which was much more personal, much more what I wanted. And on a trip to Mexico City, where I had friends from college that were living there, we started really randomly talking about it because my friend from college shared that she'd been trying to conceive for three years and that there were very few clinics in Latin America. And so her husband, who's very similar <laughs> to me, um, had decided to open the clinics there. And he said they would be open by next year. And so I said, you know what? Like, if it is exactly how you say, and it does all of these different things, sign me up. I think the level of like, I just didn't want to feel like a, like a piece of cattle, you know? Like, and it's not that mm-hmm. hard to not make people feel this way. But so often you go to the OBGYN and like you're two hours in a waiting room and then you're like rushed in to see a doctor for seven minutes. You get some loose email about your results. Um, they only email you if something's wrong and it's like no like you need to some reassurance you only get like information you're supposed to trust from your practitioner and you know I felt like I just really didn't have that and you know this clinic in Mexico it was like more European care Um, first of all the doctor was like McDreamy like straight up (laughs) Grey's Anatomy blue-eyed Dutch Mexican doctor who surfed uh, and I was like, okay, it helps. <laughs> it helps a lot. I, you know, it's like, it's just like, wasn't scary, you know? Um, and you have him on WhatsApp, any questions? I, I often compare freezing my eggs to getting the COVID vaccine, where I was like, mm-hmm. I just didn't know what was going to happen to me and how I was going to feel. And then the anxiety around it was so much worse than the actual process. And if I had had more information about how I was going to feel, like I probably would have done it much earlier. And um, I felt this way. And so he really encouraged me to like message him on WhatsApp. He would check in on me every day. We, you know, offered for me to come in to do my first injection and to help me do the second. And I could always come in, for instance. So if I felt, you know, funny or for whatever reason, I could always come in. I didn't have to make an appointment. I could just show up. The nurses would help me. Like, I just felt really welcome. Um, There was not really like I never waited more than 20 minutes um, and everything, you know, everything was just like extra thoughtful. Like they also were very holistic. Like they really believed that you could alleviate the uh, symptoms of the hormones with acupuncture. So included in your package was this really great acupuncturist. Everything was in English. And then um, what else? Like for instance, the medicine is a big chunk of the cost. And sometimes in the US, they'll just make you pay for all this medicine but you don't know how long you're going to need it for because they're they're basically checking every few days the size of your eggs until they're ready to harvest and if you you know if you have too much then you sort of wasted that and all you can do is really give it to a friend so there they were giving it to me in small doses every 48 hours so that I would only have to pay what I use so the entire cost was also like really managed and they never made you feel like you were supposed to afford something that you couldn't like everything was just very thoughtful Maybe because also it's like a country where people are just generally more careful about money. And and so, you know, with also a lot of big differences because you're in Mexico where a lot of people don't have access to care and then you have this really beautiful clinic. Um, so, uh, you know, there's obviously like a disconnect there. But, I, you know, I did my research and I just had like the, the greatest and easiest experience. So I was just really excited to share it with everyone because it would just like really destigmatize doing it. and. Mm-hmm made it not scary how long is the process in total so basically you have to do an ultrasound before to make sure everything is okay i have ptos so you know i had a cyst before if you have 
kind of, kind of like a certain condition before, like they may put you on birth control to make sure you're very regulated before or just monitor you for a few months. And then you agree on a month where you're going to be doing it. So you go in on the second day of your period, you start your injections. It can be anywhere from nine to 14 days um, of injections. And then you have your, on the last day, you have your trigger shot. Um, so you'll get progressively more tired in my case. The hormones, can, you can they can make you sensitive. Honestly, the hardest part is really doing your hormones in the morning and the fact that like you kind of have a bunch of sensitive points on your stomach because you're doing all these injections. It's like one at the beginning and at the end, it's three. Um, and do and you self-administer those or they, they do? Yeah. It's like the first one is so hard because, oh. you, you know, the, the it seems very long. And then you do it and it's actually so easy. And like, I was dating someone at the time and I remember he was on FaceTime. He came after and I was like very dramatically like <laughs> stabbing myself in the stomach <laughs> to like scare him on like day five because it's actually like the needle is so small. It's just impressive because it's long. Um, So that's really not that bad. And then you do your trigger shot and then you basically wait and you have 36 hours to go to the hospital. And that's when they basically like will harvest them. Um, and then. After that, the recovery was actually tougher for me than the entire process. You Because, how can I explain? You have these eggs that have grown. Usually you have one per month, right? But like right now you have maybe like 20 or more. And so they go and they take this whole like vacuum and they take them out. And you have all this these gaps where the eggs were. And it sort of fills up with fluid. So you feel very bloated. Like at that point, you'll leave and your stomach will be hard and just like very round. Kind of as if you're pregnant. And honestly, it's not painful. You wake up, you're honestly totally fine. I fully went to dinner that night. And then um, just every day for maybe four days, you feel a little bit better. And that's it. And you recover. They want you to stick around. So the whole process for me was three and a half weeks. But, you know, I was in Mexico City. There are definitely worse places. And the last mm. week, I didn't have to do anything. I was just like, they just wanted you to stick around in case you need to go see the doctor, in case you have any questions, et cetera. And how long after that do you know like what was viable and how many you had from, from that? They procedure? told me uh, as soon as I woke up from surgery, they told me that they got 24 and they're going to see how many they can freeze. And then that evening they said that they froze 20. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great outcome. It's still not, you know, guaranteed that with 20 eggs you can have a child. However, there's good chances, right? And also... A lot of people ask me about the storage for doing it in Mexico City because the storage in the U.S. now is it's a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars depending on where you live. So there's truly like rent for your eggs, um, but in Mexico, wait, a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a year a year. month okay, per year. year. That's expensive. It's expensive. It's like more than your phone plan if you think about it. And there's this, obviously, you're never going to not pay for that because you did all this. So you want your eggs mm. to be safe. It's your insurance policy. So actually, what I discovered when I was doing all the research on the fertility is that the real money is in the storage of the eggs. The, right. the procedure, these places, they offer like cheap you know, egg retrievals. That's their acquisition cost, basically, because storage is so passive. Like It's not even like giant freezers, right? It's like they're in this very cold, in this liquid that keeps them very cold and it's like a tiny tube right so it's the insurance like I was really worried for instance in Mexico about earthquakes about keeping my eggs there mm -hmm. but it's in these very safe buildings in Polanco and so um the storage is in Mexico is a hundred 
I think it's free the first two years and then it's a hundred bucks a year or something like that. And you can bring them back if you want to, but honestly, I had such a great experience there and like so much transparency with the doctor that I feel like if I were to use them, I would probably just go there. What is the price difference comparatively for the procedures in total? Would you say like difference wise? Yeah, I think my numbers here are a little bit outdated and now some employers cover part of it, insurance covers, you know, some of it, um, you know, I was a freelancer um, and I didn't have access to that. And so when I was looking into it, you know, uh, the places like Kind Body were 9,000 per egg retrieval, but then you have all the medicine, which can be a few thousand dollars on top of it. So even with one of those like cheaper more approachable alternatives, you're looking at, you know, ten to fifteen thousand dollars. If you want to do it at, you know, UCLA or NYU or like a really good doctor, it's often more. Um, and so in Mexico, the cost of everything, like absolutely everything, was five thousand for me. Wow. That is big difference. So it's significant. It's like a third of the price. Which, you know, of course is still very expensive for the Mexican mm-hmm. cost of living. So there's like a whole like ethical issue about this um that in terms of being only a few hours away you know it was very it was it was an opportunity I would not have been able to do it if I if I had stayed in the U.S. um so you mentioned it's three and a half weeks in the lead up to the actual procedure itself did you or are you supposed to make any lifestyle changes how does that look like the told me to take vitamins and I misread the email and so I hadn't taken them <laughs> before I just showed <laughs> up with the vitamins and they were like okay well you seem to be very healthy just start taking them now um I think there was a they were overall very relaxed um but other they want to make sure like all of your levels of everything are good but if you live a pretty healthy lifestyle like I think during you're not going to want to be drinking um you just want to be like healthy like don't drink and smoke while you're doing it but honestly it's it's not that hard you don't really want to you can totally go about your day I think I really missed just one day of work which was the day of the retrieval I wish I had taken the day after um I couldn't I remember at the time but because my surgery got pushed so we ended up at I was really hoping to have my retrieval at 11 after 11 days and one side had grown much bigger than the other. So they were monitoring and injecting a little bit every day to try to get all of the eggs from the other side. And um, and basically, like, then it ended up that my surgery was on a Monday. Um, so I couldn't take the Tuesday off because I had an important meeting that day. But really, it's it's it was so much easier than I thought. Were you surprised with how much you were able to get done, like, simultaneously while you were doing it? Or was it kind yeah, of for sure. Because you expect yeah. to feel crazy. People tell you you're going to be feeling crazy. And then actually what was interesting is no one told me to really prepare. You're always looking forward to the surgery, right? You're counting the days. You're like look, watching your eggs grow every day. It's so bizarre. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to go. I'm surgery. I'm going to be fine. I'll rest. But I was so bloated. Like I remember I had these like pants and I could not get the zipper on at all. It was all the way down. Like I just couldn't it was fully popping on my jeans as if I was pregnant and I was terrified that something was wrong with me. And it's like, no, actually you had a great outcome. You had a lot of eggs, but now your body is like filled with fluid. And how long after the entire procedure did you start to feel kind of back to normal or? Oh, four days for me. Okay. 
yeah. So I got my surgery on Monday and I first I went to dinner that night, but are you still a little tired? And mainly you just feel so bloated that I was like, I look like I'm pregnant. But, you know, my boyfriend at the time came to visit me on a Tuesday and it was um, the art fair in Mexico City. And we went to like every art show and like went out at night and everything. Like I felt totally fine. It was more the day before surgery, each egg that you have, you know, emits a little bit of progesterone, which can make you really tired. And so I was so tired because I was on Mm. the last few days. Um, So I was really like super exhausted, but like I took a nap and I was fine. There was nothing painful. I didn't have crazy dreams, like all of these things. By the way, I also did not get sick with the COVID vaccine, but I was so anxious that I was going to get sick. I like took the day off and then I'm like sitting on my couch, you know, like ready to be taken by the plague and like nothing happened and I just like watched the crown you know sometimes it's also a bit of a placebo effect because you're like is it is it this yeah yeah, yeah. Is it this? I, you know it's like the window's open and you're like am I shivering do I have am I aching it's like no the window's just mm-hmm. open <laughs> yeah. so, progesterone yeah. is the devil though I, I had to take it it's the devil yeah I I took it in the first trimester of this pregnancy and I attribute every like bad part of the pregnancy to that. Like it truly it, feels like someone hits you on the head and you're falling asleep. It's like crashing from Adderall. Like I was never a big like Adderall, you know, taker, but it's definitely happened that I take it in college. And I remember mm-hmm. just like the crash where like we suddenly need to fall asleep at the end. That felt exactly like that. It's like very almost chemical. You mentioned you were seeing somebody at the time. What was that conversation like with your partner? Well, it was interesting because I had already decided to do it when we started dating. And so we, you know, we were just a few months in when I was going to Mexico. And I feel like, if anything, it really relieved a lot of the pressure on our Mm. relationship. Because I feel like we started dating pretty seriously pretty soon um and um you know I he was overall very supportive of like me doing it and having more option also with seeing how hard I was working and whatnot you know there was definitely like before your surgery and like after you're not gonna want to have sex you probably shouldn't like if you have 20 eggs kind of floating around you you definitely (laughs) don't want to do that if you've been dating him for six months I mean at least I I didn't um but also you're just you're just like uncomfortable um like you know um and then but other than that like he came to visit me I didn't really want him I didn't know how I was gonna feel so I was like don't come Mm. when I have the when I'm injecting myself, we were just chatting a bunch. And then he came as soon as I did my operation and we had like a fun week in Mexico. Um, If anything, it was really one of those, like I could tell how freeing it was because the minute that I did it, I like never thought about it again. I never worried about it. And I think like it really made me so much more free. Not that it's again, a hundred percent insurance policy, but like in my head, I'm like, I have two soccer teams on ice in Mexico. I'm going to be fine. Like if I take my time, (laughs) you know? Yeah. What is a, a misconception you think surrounds egg freezing that people maybe might not know or get wrong typically? Well, I think people understand nothing about the woman's body and especially not men, you know? And what? so I think that <laughs> there's like, there's the preconception that like if you're freezing your eggs it's because you're trying to have a child and it's like, no, it's maybe that you want a child later. Um, that's, 
they're going to be healthier now. I think that a big misconception about, about egg freezing is that you should be doing it when you're in your late 30s and you will get such better results if you do it younger. So you're, you know, not to like, I really hate all the fear-based marketing that's around all of these companies. And that's also part of the reason why I decided not to do it in the United States because I don't like to, I don't know, I just don't like to feel pushed around. And so I actually, I, I got so turned off after my experience in New York that I decided to not do it. And I didn't even think about it for three years, but it was always in the back of my mind. And it's only when I, you know, I think it was like, it's a very positive thing. And I think that when I did it, I had been working like a dog for the past three years, getting Gia off the ground. And I really needed to feel like I was doing one thing for myself. And that was the thing, even if it's not like a spa day, right? Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to have, like, I've always wanted to have children. It's like, I often forget to feed myself these days. Like I'm not, you know, I think that if I had kids during COVID when I was building my company, like potentially they would be dead. So uh, it's good (laughs) that I'm not a mother right now. Um, But someday I absolutely want children. And, and, you know, I was able to do this at 30 and I had such good results. Like I'm not, I'm healthy, but I also like eat everything in moderation and and I'm not like a, you know, super health nut. And still I got um, amazing results and that can just vary you can have women who are very healthy and will have really poor egg quality or not enough of them so the earlier you do it the better if you can afford it it's a big commitment even if you um, do it in France or somewhere else right and so you go through the procedure and then you t- how how much like after did you decide to share it to a media or what was like the timeline there um, I think I shared it shortly after because I had friends that knew that I was there. So I was getting a ton of questions. And also to be honest, like when you get to the end, like before the surgery, I didn't feel any effect really from the hormones other than I was really tired. It's not really the hormones that you inject yourself in as much as the hormones that the eggs create inside your body that I was getting so many questions and I just wanted to get the surgery and get it over with and have my boyfriend come and not think about this anymore like my team at the office sort of knew and I just kind of wanted to move on from the whole thing and honestly you know I you get to know the people that work with you I got to know the nurse you know I was like speaking to her um in broken Spanish every day and the doctor had been so great and then you know my friend um at the time in Mexico who couldn't have a baby was also going through the process herself and so we were it was just a lot of the conversations right we would meet for dinner at night and we would talk about our eggs um she actually just had a baby so I'm very happy for her Mm. after like it took her over four years and um and so I just thought like this is so great like I need to share it so I felt very compelled to do it and of course my friends had started the clinic but I would have never shared it if I wasn't like super happy with the experience and I'm someone who's very difficult to please and so I just thought like I was just delighted you know like truly that sense of relief like of feeling like I had some of my headspace back from this experience like I feel like you always feel there's there are things that are and we can talk about this for hours but there are things that are so incredible about being a woman and then there's also things that are so restrictive about the way that you're supposed to talk about yourself and the way that you're supposed to sh- show yourself and portray yourself whether it's at work or in life and you know I just felt like this process was very intriguing to people I was getting so many questions I was being overwhelmed with questions specifically because there was no information I was like you know what I'm going to talk about this really transparently hopefully it will not offend anyone 
it will probably help a lot of the people that don't even dare to ask me questions. I know what my friends created this really incredible thing in Mexico. Like I want to be sharing it. So. And then I was like, I'm putting all of like, I have a story highlight and sometimes people hit me up. I'm like, actually, I hate to say this, but just check my story highlight because I need to do a zoom to tell you all about this. Now I'll point them mm-hmm. to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Send them away. Well, I think there's just so much conflicting information out there. And as technology advances, the information updates. And of course, it's always nice to also get a first-hand experience, first-hand recount of an experience, right? Because you get all the personal details. Um, the information that's out there is also, again, very fear-based because, you know, it's like when you're not supposed to diagnose yourself with WebMD and it's like, you are a woman, your egg quality is going down starting at 29 years old, you know? And it's just like... Okay, but you know, probably if you can only do it at 38, like it's gonna be fine, it's better than not. But if you can do it earlier, it's like even better. And I, I think that for me, I really wanted to also shed like a very positive light, like this was a choice, and this there was like a way for people to do it without being, you know, pushed around into like financing options that maybe, you know, I think were a little predatory. Um, so I, I think it was more like sharing it from like someone that kind of had gone through that process before um as opposed to like from a company that's trying to get money from you you um also have a very successful business <laughs> she's just not saying anything bad but i'm telling you guys um as a ceo and founder of gear it's everywhere um and you obviously still running your business as you were going through this experience how transparent were you with your company while you were doing this like were you telling investors and you know as you were taking meetings and stuff like that were you sort of yeah so actually I was fundraising while I was doing this for a series a which was super intense and also probably in retrospect like I wouldn't have done um but I was very transparent with people because you know why not I think um, it was it was like a little bit too far into COVID for me to be like able to explain why I was in Mexico for a month. Um, so, you know, medical tourism was my, was my answer to their questions. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but my team knew. And I, I really believe that like, if we want to be changing the way that the workplace is for people, like it's really important for, you know, to for CEOs to lead by example. And it's like, if I'm never taking time off, like how could I expect my team to be taking time off? Um, if I'm never doing things for myself and taking care of my health, you know, I, I, I always really feel compelled to like, I always tell them like, you have to be interesting. You owe it to your team to be really interesting people. And you can't do that if all you're doing is working, like go to the exhibition, go to the concert, have fun in your life, like live your life to the fullest. And so, you know, to me, not procrastinating on my health was also a part of that. So I made a point to share it with the team. So I made it a point to be very transparent with them. I didn't give all the detail to my investors, but you know, the, we had one lead investor who ended up becoming our main investor. And I also told them because, you know, why not? Like it's planning. <laughs> Speaking of gear, congratulations, firstly on everything. Thank I feel you. like the business is, is, expanding in every single territory possible but I'm curious as to your trajectory leading up to launching the business because as I did my Nancy Drew research I saw you were working at Sweet Green I saw you were involved with Glossier what was um like I would love to know more about that 
wow, you did not know these things before. Now I'm just concerned well, about I, our friendship. I, I, I met you. I met you, and you launched gear. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was like three years ago, and and we just kind of never really. I mean, I knew you were. I knew that you had worked with the business with the businesses, but I I didn't know the extent or the nature of it or. Well, I can tell you all about it now. So <laughs> I moved to the US for college. And then, you know, I graduated during the financial crisis when it was like, oh, wow, like I just paid for this very expensive American college. And now I'm not sure I'm going to be able to stay. So I got a job on Wall Street uh, when I graduated, which was an amazing experience and totally not for me. I think for my whole life, I've been in this weird like balance between having really good grades and being good at math, but also really feeling like I'm a creative person. And so, you know, my parents were always trying to like push me to do more math and like do all these things. And then it's like, I ended up, you know, designing stores for Glossier and studying history of architecture and, and being really passionate about design and architecture in general. And so I was um, working for Goldman Sachs. I left, I worked for a fast casual restaurant group in New York called Dig. I was really interested in, the food system in America, because when I moved to the US, I started having these stomach cramps all the time. And I realized that maybe the food quality was very different. And it, you know, I, I had grown up in an environment that was very food centric. I loved cooking with my grandmother. She passed away shortly after I went to college and very suddenly. And I just like, she's the person I miss the most. And like cooking, I feel like gets me closer to her. And it was not just cooking food. It was like the way that she shared everything. So a lot of my life, and the mission is in my life is that I want to like build and share a really beautiful life. Right. And, and so that can come from food and taste and all of the different senses, but you know, she had very little and she always made things look very extraordinary for the people that were around her. And that's also like one of the ways that I wanted to kind of like build um, my environment. And so I worked for Dig. Um, they, they were called Dig In, now they're called Dig In New York for three years. And then I got recruited by Glossier to do some strategy and, you know, a little bit of like international and then kind of ended up doing retail for them, um, opening the retail stores, figuring out what the third dimension of that brand that was really fascinating to people um, was. And it was an amazing experience. And, you know, Emily um, is like a perfect example of someone that really I learned to lead by example from. She always told us that we had to be interesting and we had to have fun and we had to do the most and we had to delight our customers. And I learned a ton from her. And um, I know that she's had some like negative press, but like I I was very close to her and I only had good things to say. Mm-hmm. And then I left and I was doing some freelance work um, for Sweet Green, for StockX, for a number of uh, companies that were trying to figure out either what the third dimension of their brand was, or, you know, in the case of Sweet Green, they're always trying to improve the experience. They have a very interesting model and they really want to redefine like how you give people access to healthy food. And um, and so I was really lucky to work with them. I ended up designing their headquarters during COVID, which is actually what brought me to LA. I thought, I'm going to go for three months. And then COVID hit and I just stayed. And then they ended up investing in Gia um, because they believed in me and the project. And they had spent, you know, at that point, 10 years of their life figuring out the future of food. And I wanted to think about the future of beverages. And so they seemed very aligned. If you're hearing me, we should put Gia in all sweet greens. Um, and, um, and then, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. I, you know, I've been freelancing 
pretty much for like five years at this point, a little bit less now, but I'm still on a startup salary. So I sometimes do projects for them or for, you know, Lifehouse hotels where you're DJing this weekend or a few Mm -hmm. um, places that are always trying to kind of make things better. So thinking about environment and how it translates, it's not just design, it's how you speak to customers. It's, you know, how you really make them feel. So that's kind of like my field. And I had the idea for Gia because I, because I was so busy with work, I sort of stopped drinking and I was had these stomach pains and I realized alcohol is not my trigger, but I feel so much better without it. And I was so bothered that I was constantly, I think I've already said that, like being pushed around. And, and I feel like I was always having drinks forced on me. And I was just like, for fuck's sake, you know, like I cannot drink and still go out and be cool and do all the things. And, and it started really frustrating me. And then I was always, you know, playing with, drinking vinegars and and like you know I don't know trying to trying to fit in that drink was just to fit in and I was like what if we made something that really made people feel included the idea for Gia was it's an invitation to participate but I don't want it to be buzzing you I don't want there to be caffeine in it I don't want it to be an upper or downer it's like cannot be functional and it also cannot be like fake gin that was the only thing available at the time even kin which has been so successful at like educating people on the category. They launched while I was working on Gia, but the only one that existed at the time was Seedlip. And I was just like, that is not for me. You know, they're mm-hmm. also so great at what they've done, but I just didn't want an alcohol that already existed. And that was just going to be non-alcoholic. So really wanted to create a unique formula. I wanted it, you know, if, if you'd ask me about my dream for Gia, or if you asked me about my dream for Gia, I would be like, well, somewhere on a shelf, you know, at a beach bar in Italy there's like Campari, Aperol and Ghia and Ghia is the all natural non-alcoholic but it's an Amaro and it's like culinary and it's won like food awards and it's like for food nerds you know um it's for people that like bitter things it's um I actually really wanted to formulate it with licorice like a pastis at the time and, and I met this amazing food scientist we still work with and he was just like you are not gonna sell a single bottle if you do that so no <laughs> So we really wanted to be more like a pasties at the beginning. That was my initial idea because it's that sort of like peak sun, 5 p.m. to late afternoon drink. Like I remember, you know, being like six years old and my dad is having a pasties. It's this nice yellow color and maybe they're playing petanque. It's like, you know, maybe I just woke up from a nap and it's just like that nice kind of like warm sun drink that's both refreshing and also sets the mood for the evening um and it had this quintessentially summer like taste um but it's not a flavor that is very appreciated here in the u.s so he strongly suggested that we pivot and (laughs) i wanted a drink that was really dry because it's a tasting note that people often ask even when they're asking for a glass of wine and the first one of the evening especially it's like preps your appetite for the dinner and it's also just like the one that really sets the tone again it's it's you know i always say like one of the rules of hospitality it doesn't even matter how great the food is it's it has to be the shortest period possible from the time that someone walks into a room or a restaurant and when their first drink comes in like there's nothing worse than sitting at a restaurant and you order your drinks and they don't come and then the server comes back and you order your food, you still don't have your drinks. It's like those drinks have to come in like super, super fast because it gets everyone really relaxed. And, you know, I want to do that with non-alcoholic drinks too. Like what I've realized now for from several years of working on this project is it actually doesn't matter if there's booze in it. Like people just want to have a drink in their hands. And so, yeah, it's meant to be that for the people that don't want to drink alcohol. And I, I liked, I read somewhere as well that you mentioned the gear customer isn't necessarily sober. 
No. I mean, a lot of people think that our customers are mainly sober, but 85% of our customer base is a customer that identifies as a drinker or maybe doesn't want to label him or herself, but on a Tuesday will not mix their Gia and on a Friday will add a splash of mezcal to it. I like that. And it's really you, someone seeking moderation. And you launched, so did you launch Gia while you were working at all these other places or what's the timeline so, of launching the business? I started working on it very early 2019 in a very accelerated way and we launched mid 2020 so i had started actually before working on the formula because that took over a year um but everything else happened pretty quickly and i was working not full-time but i was working freelance the whole time and at what point did you like pivot full-time to yeah Oh, I mean, I was working, all my freelance work was like evening work, but I was working, you know, full-time on GIA from early 2019. Um, I brought on someone really early as well, uh, my business partner, Henry. At the time I was freelancing and he was helping me with stuff. And I remember like I would get, you know, paid by a client and I would Venmo him <laughs> because I was mm-hmm. paying him already. Um, but, you know, I still occasionally have consulting projects with um with brands but it's they're very very light now right oh we did not know you still did that look at you go she's always working guys and (laughs) what was the biggest leap of faith or you know moment where you were like I am really doing this now just this so it's funny because it's like Basically, I had this idea when I was in Milan, and then as soon as I came back, I started looking into it, but I thought I would look into it. I had five clients at the time, and I thought I would look into it like a consulting project. So kind of like a sixth client, doing some research, and unlike you know, my previous kind of personal projects, one of which was on fertility clinics, um, <laughs> it was like, it so quickly drove me crazy. Um, it was like I could not stop thinking about it I could not think about anything else and my vision for it crystallized because it was a product that I was designing for myself so I knew what I wanted it to taste like I knew how I wanted it to make me feel I knew even the things that like I wasn't sure about like I couldn't figure out what I wanted who I wanted to do the brand identity but I sort of knew what I wanted the brand identity to look like and so I couldn't describe like the fonts and the specific design details but I knew the feeling that I wanted the brand to give to people and I remember we were kind of stuck on the name for so long and that's why our parent company name is the name of my grandmother it's not the name Gia because we started it without it being called Gia we had a work and we had a project name basically what was and, the project name give us the team oh on the inside it was, it was called intermission but it was never meant to be called intermission it was like project intermission which is such a terrible name but it was it was called that because for so long we couldn't figure out the name and like you know why all these beverages have like no vowels in their names is because everything's already been taken and no one's ever cleaned up you know all the trademarks so all the brand names like a lot of people have tried to do beverages over the years and even if they're defunct like sometimes it's hard in the same category to use that name so we were one night we were like so exhausted i was moving to la 
I remember we'd like written all these names on the whiteboard, which was like the last thing in my New York apartment. And we'd like gone too far and ended up writing on the wall. And then now I had to like repaint a piece of my living room. And I was like, damn, like I have to get to Tame Impala tonight. Let's just forget about work and go to a concert, which is how I operate most of the time. I've been going to like every concert in LA the past few weeks because I'm kind of in that zone again. And we went to the same Impala concert and it was just amazing. And we danced and we felt so good. And we were like, that's the feeling, you know? And so we ended up, I was like, who designed the concert? Who did the show? And we ended up figuring out that it was Willow. And I tracked him down um, and begged him to take on the project. And he did. So Wow. But I was one of the, one, you know, at the time he was working for Kanye. And I remember like, we didn't agree on a price. And I, I like, he was like, I'm at the Barry, but I leave tomorrow. I was like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And, oh I went, and he was like, this girl is totally psychotic. And then, uh, you know, we talk about it and he was like, okay, you're moving to LA. Why don't you come by the studio next week? It's going to be fine. And I was like, I don't have Kanye budget, but I promise you this is going to work. Like, I just like can tell, you know, and he was like, okay. <laughs> and then, and then he did it. Um, him and Brian and their amazing team and did the, you know, Brian Andrew, our logo. And he found the name Gia because another thing that I really love is cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about cars and names and, you know, there was no French name from my history that made sense, you know, like my grandmother's house names, like really hard to pronounce. And like, I didn't want to use her name. And there were all, like, there was a mochi company that was using her name. And it was like, everything was like not really working or clicking. And then we were talking about names and I was like, I just love names. I want to name my son Dino after the Dino Ferrari. And I, that's when he thought I was totally nuts. Um, and then we were talking about car lockups and how amazing they were and car design, which, you know, our spritz can is very much inspired by car design, the triangular label. And, um, you know, we were talking about the Carmen Ghia and how it's a car that was like really easy to maintain and very approachable, but it looks beautiful and like a very luxurious object. And that's kind of how I want people to feel when they have a Ghia. It's very approachable to everyone, but it's a moment for yourself. It's like a little luxury. And we were like, Ghia, Ghia. And the minute he said it, I just knew. And we had been like banging our heads against the wall for like eight months trying to find a name and they were, they were not good enough. And so, um, you know, it was good that we went to that concert. I love that story. I also think it's so important that you kept moving forward without even having the name because I think that a lot of people get caught up with the name being start of something or yeah. needing the name to kind of conceptualize everything around it. And it's very cool that you managed to get so much done and you were so actually far forward in the process. Yeah, I think in general, I'm pretty uncompromising, which I've been really trying to work on. But being a founder, you know, it's like I'm designing Glossier stores and I'm driving myself and the team totally insane over like the displays for the lipsticks and like the, you know, little, the every single vinyl in the store and all of these details that really add up. But then with Gia, Suddenly I had to be in the founder's shoes and like also not hold up everything. Um, But we really got to a point where I was like, are we going to launch this brand without a name again? So confused. But so we worked on everything else. The other thing that I think people don't realize is that the brand stuff and the fun stories at this point in my day to day, they're less than 5% of what I do. Um, Designing glassware, collaborations, like unfortunately it's like such a small bit um, because it's a very operations heavy business. The most important part is making a drink that's safe to drink, making sure someday we can make some money. Um, and, you know, 
renegotiating contracts, figuring out sales agreements, you know, HR and team. Um, so the the name is important, but it's really not mm. all of it. You've moved and you've moved into spritzes now in the appetite. Spritzes. What's next on the horizon for gear that you can share? Um hmm. Okay, so usually we don't share these things in advance, but we've made the final call um this month we're going to be relaunching our aperitif bottle which is actually probably wow. the launch that is the one that i'm the most excited about since we started the company um you know i think that our bottle is a little bit akin to a natural wine there's sedimentation at the bottom it's a natural product it's something that we constantly have to explain to our customers we've been working for three years on trying to make our bottle more clear there's sometimes a little gingering at the top um, we've been fighting to get these bottles people are trying to steal our bottle now and so we have finally it's basically like rebuilt this product from the ground up with some of the extracts we are now going to be making ourselves to get the highest purest quality of extracts to have the drink be as clear as possible um we're swapping one ingredient for another um and um we are Gee. going to be making our own bottle which will be a bottle design that is owned by us we've actually designed before we launched yeah we could just never afford to do it um and so it's gonna feel like really grown up not like a stock bottle um we have taken like years of feedback on the product and people who love Gia will still love yeah, I think that the people that maybe had moved away from it are going to want to come back. It's even more delicious than before. And we have been working so hard to make all of these small, almost individual, individually invisible things come to life. Um, so that's going to be happening in March. And I'm just so excited. And then we have more flavors and we have more fun things and more objects and all of that. But we've been working on this pretty much since before we launched and it's finally coming to life. That's huge. It's interesting to me that you would have a successful product and still have that sense of creative and entrepreneurship to be like, we still want it. Like, we want to modify it. We want to better what you want. Because, you know, like people do get lazy in businesses and they're like, we're making money. We have big POs. We, we, you know, we're in all the right places. Like, why? Like, why would I improve, upgrade it? Again, like I've had to learn to move things forward even when I felt like they're not finished. And I'm such a perfectionist. And it's like, I knew so much about the product. It was fine for me that the bottle quality, you know, that it was a little cloudy and that it would separate. You just shake it before um, all of these things. And, and it's not like crystal clear now, but I think my biggest pride in all of this journey, other than, you know, my team um and like learning to manage to manage them and hopefully grow them is the quality of our products like the range of non-alcoholic drinks available now is really broad mm -hmm. and the majority of these products are low quality products you can totally quote me on this mark my words <laughs> it's an issue it's it's a big issue because mm -hmm. we're trying to sell it to retailers and they're like we tried this one and it didn't sell you know and yeah. so it's like i i would be so delighted if there were five real competitors to Gia that came to the market and people could take it seriously, but we're having to really convince them that Gia is different from others because our products are all natural. We, you know, we use, we make our own extracts. Like 
it's all of these things. And like the, you know, if you look at our ingredient costs, like they're for sure, I would say two to seven times higher than um, most products on the market. It's pure juices and extracts only, no flavors, no natural flavors, none of that. And so, you know, you're bound to be copied and you're bound to have more competition. And it's like, I never want to do the same thing over. I never want to get lazy. I want to make sure my bottle remains like my biggest pride and joy. It's effectively the closest thing I have to a child. And, um, and, um, you know, Having the new product. moment. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, but it's also like the trade-off is like, I clearly cannot have children right now. And that's okay. Like, I think that when, you know, I want to do things really well in everything that I do. And I want to be like an extraordinary mother when the time comes. And I want to be an extraordinary um, founder and leader now. And that takes a lot. And I think that making sure our product is exceptional, making sure our customers feel really well taken care of is really like the most important thing. And we do new flavors. It's like, I have endless ideas. Like, honestly, I never want to do something again. I never want to do something that someone else has done. All I think about is like, how can we be different? Because that's so much more fun. And it's like, I just have so many ideas, you know? So it's more about picking and choosing how you do them right. But this bottle, they always say like, if you're a founder, if you wait to be on time for something, you're probably three months too late. And I think when we launched the bottle, like, there was always something for me that was a little unfinished. I drank gallons of Gia. I love the product. But I've learned so much since, like, we can make it even better. Um, and so I'm, I'm so excited for March. <laughs> Is there something you find helpful to keep momentum moving forward or, you know, keep pushing when you start to procrastinate or you feel, you know, demotivated or things aren't going well because, you know, like yeah. you said, you just kind of need to steamroll forward and get through. Is there anything that's helped you? Um, I mean, it's really easy to feel discouraged. It's really easy to feel discouraged. We, I'm so glad that it looks like it's so easy from the outside. It's mm -hmm. great. Um, although I feel like it's also really important to show vulnerability and like tell the truth about how hard it is to run this business. But you know, we were supposed to launch in restaurants only in April 2020. So like there has been, there have been many hurdles and we've had to jump through so many hoops, like even before we launched because all the restaurants in the world closed and, mm -hmm. you know, it was like one thing after another, like grocery stores during that time were not interested in taking on fully new categories, all of that. Now I have no more excuses, like the world is reopened. Um, and so I think what makes it hard though is like COVID and iOS 14 and we have to rebalance our entire, you know, channels because last year, 75% of our sales were coming from online and now people are not really buying food online anymore. Um, at least not nearly as much. So I definitely feel discouraged. I try to remember that often when I feel discouraged is because I'm looking at our sales and I can't have my personal health and anxiety just be like, just be linked to like the number that's on our Shopify dashboard, like that's toxic, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, I, I feel like that often helps me put things in perspective and then to keep me going every night before I go to bed, instead of like scrolling, I go into our Shopify account and I read the gift notes. So we have gift notes on the site. And when we launched about 10% of the hours gifted, now it's much less than that, but we still get like, tens per day and then, I mean, right now it's holiday season so it's like the best um it's like, and I read them all every night and like 
it's my favorite thing. It makes everything worth it. And I feel like it's just a lot of positive thoughts. And there's also some really funny ones. Um, I bet. Because I think a lot of people gift Dia, but they haven't actually tried Dia. So mm-hmm. they were like, uh, recently there was one that was sort of like, I haven't tried this, but the label looked good. And Chic and you are a Chic friend of mine and like, happy holidays, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and then there were some really funny personal ones. Um, and obviously I don't know any of these people, um, but some people, you know, who are thinking about others that are not a lot of, I think a lot of gifts are for people who don't drink at all mm-hmm. or to celebrate a pregnancy or um, a lot of people who are going to, through kind of like medical journeys as well and like you know clearly a lot of cancer patients and, and so that also helps put things in perspective and I'm like wow like in a way Dia is there for all these people this life and then also sometimes people will share like you know when da 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 and I you know weren't drinking or we're going through this it really helped us so we're like we had one every night during the pandemic or like mm-hmm. the early users gift a lot of Dia um, and so these notes I'm, I feel like I'm so lucky that I have this kind of like daily source of notes and we share them internally with the team when they're special um and now we're actually going to start sharing them with the community like in a coded way or like getting approval or something from people that write them because they're just so that's beautiful so and nice like, yeah that's why you do it you know very love actually vibes I like it yeah. <laughs> also I'm sure you know when you're overseeing things on such a mass level to get individual feedback or see the direct impact that it has on one person and that ricochet effect must be really special yeah speaking of public feedback we had a little shark tank moment this year didn't we we did we want to know everything about that obviously so i signed a lot of documents and there's a lot of not a lot to talk about Mm -hmm. but I went on Shark Tank in October. It was crazy. People ask me, like, um, do you meet the sharks before or after? And it's like, no, it's exactly like on TV. It's actually more stressful in real life than TV. You know, you're like in a green room. You can't see anyone. I'm like, am I even discussing too much? It's just like you only meet them on the set. It's like real. The only thing that's different is that they actually tape for an hour or more. And then they cut your episode, which is expected, but no, it's real life. It's, um, they fire yeah. questions at you and you defend yourself however you can. For the people that didn't watch, um, my episode, which you certainly don't have to watch, but if you do want to watch <laughs> it, it's episode four of this season and it's on Hulu. We will, um, we will leave a link in the <laughs> description of the, we also made episode. a TikTok and in case you're wondering, my dress was from Chloe. Um, because that's the main <laughs> question I get about this Shark Tank episode. Like, thank you so much. And I did not get to keep the dress, even though it's like my favorite thing I've ever worn. And um, <laughs> That's a real did, also, NDA being broken over there. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I did not get a deal. I got two offers and we turned them down. And you'll see why in the episode. But um, it was honestly amazing. Like, you know, when they reached, they reached out to us in January, kind of like saying like, hey, like, this is the link to apply. It was kind of like an encouragement to apply. And we're like, we're not going on Shark Tank. Like we're going to mm-hmm. be raising around. And I had never really watched it. And then I went to my boyfriend at the time's family's home um, in February or January before my egg freezing. And I remember, you know, his mom was like, oh, I watch Shark Tank all the time. And I got this because of Shark Tank. And I got that because of Shark Tank. And I was like, 
do I need to go on Shark Tank? And then <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. A of, yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Like, because specifically during COVID, we had found out that a lot of people were quarantining with their parents ordered Gia because they saw it on Instagram and then we're having a drink with the parents and the parents became super users. So they would send us emails and they would say like, you know, I haven't had a drink in like 30 something years. And this is the first time I was able to have a martini with my son or like a mm-hmm. Negroni or something. And it was super sweet. And I was like, Oh, these people must be like our parents age basically. And I was like, wow, maybe this is how we get to this demographic. And then it kept happening with people of very different age groups. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll just do the audition. It was like a video audition. Um, and then, you know, we kept going through the next rounds. And, and then, then in July, we taped and it aired in October. Actually, confession, I invited Melanie to come on a European girls vacation. And she said, I can't, I have to film Shark Tank. And I swear, Bible, I thought she was pranking me. <laughs> like, I was like, no okay, it's a weird excuse, but you don't have to come surf, surfing Lanzarote if you don't really want to. Eat, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it was like a it was like a free surf trip to Portugal, or like a what was it like a big house in Morocco, or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I always say yes to the trip. I really couldn't. I was so they, they taped in in LA, and I had to be here for many days in a row. And it was the month that I'm supposed to go home and I was so bummed out. And you still don't know if your episode airs after either. So it was like a big um, chance. But I'm, I honestly, we're so happy it aired before the holiday. We also right. launched on Amazon three months before. And a lot of people were looking on Amazon. If you want to have a good laugh, you can go and type Gia Shark Tank, French girl, Reddit <laughs> online. <laughs> uh, there's entire threads of people debating what I should have done um on the show and like no one seems to remember my name thankfully so it doesn't actually come up with my personal name it's just French girl shark thing that is unhinged I would definitely be heading to that after this for sure people were like don't search for your name on reddit and it's like the episode aired seven minutes ago and the first thing I do (laughs) but it was fine it was there was nothing in there that I didn't know it's like people think the ball was expensive or like I don't know, that I should have taken the first deal or, you know, things like that. I was, uh, I realized that actually my my skin is much thicker than I thought. Wow. That's always a nice thing to, I feel like most people have the opposite effect after going on TV. Live national television. So I think, you know, there were the comments from a lot of people that watch Shark Tank a lot. So they knew they were like, you never get a deal for full price. Like, why didn't she say yes? You know, and I didn't mm-hmm. know that when I went. I was I had watched some episodes to prepare, but not like hundreds of seasons of episodes from the seasons. It's season fourteen. This show's been running for a long time, mm-hmm. and so I, there were a lot of like very funny comments. Someone said I was the Adam Neumann of beverages. <laughs> I was like, well, he's sitting on two billion dollars, so like, surely he has a house by the sea with like organic tomatoes in his garden by now, you know, and I'm <laughs> gonna be working a few more years for this. So what's the so what's up on like what's up on the gear, Melanie? I don't know where I tour because it seems like you're definitely on one. How can we support you as we wrap up this iconic and amazing episode? Where can we follow um, you? How can we support you? What are you working on that's exciting? Can be personal, doesn't have to be work-related. We can, honestly, um, thank you so much for having me here. You can, if you have friends that potentially may not want to be drinking over the holidays, you can get 
Gia on the site. You can use a good Melanie 15 for a little discount. Don't share it. And um, <laughs> you can, I don't know, just check us out. And like, if you remember bits of this story, maybe share it. If you're thinking about freezing your eggs, don't hesitate. You will feel so good after. And you can say, hi, I'm at Melanie Masserin on Instagram and at Drink Gia on Instagram. And I see DMs that come from both accounts. So you can say hi and yeah. That's it. Aww, okay. That's all I have for you now, my little iconic and amazing unhinges. We will be back next week with another episode. And if you like us, if you love us, if you have excellent taste, it's free. You can leave us a review anywhere you're consuming this app. It helps us with visibility. So thank you in advance for your support. Have a wonderful week and we will be back on the airwaves next week. Ciao for now.